Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand a little more about how the other side thinks. Our mission, to make government contracting better one contract at a time. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition Solutions. Skyway helps companies of all sizes know more, do more, and win more in the government market. Visit skywayacquisition.com to get started. Today's episode is a reminder that only a contracting officer can obligate the government. So what happens if work gets done that wasn't properly authorized? Let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today we're going to talk about unauthorized commitments and how they can become authorized. We are. Unauthorized commitments and its partner in the hassle is the ratification. These two combined can be the bane of the contracting process. Uh, They both cost a lot of time and money if if not handled properly. And many times it's just lack of knowledge of the process that creates the problem in the first place. Before we go any farther, we really have to define what we're talking about. So let's jump straight to FAR time. Yay! This is FAR 1.602-3. And it's, it's called ratification of unauthorized commitments. So that both terms are right there in the title. An unauthorized commitment is an agreement that is not binding between the government and a contractor because the government representative who made it lacked the authority to enter into that agreement on behalf of the government. So that is generally someone other than a contracting officer. A ratification, that's a term, to ratify something here, this is how the government then, fixes it. Yeah. Good. Fixes it. This is how the government approves that unauthorized commitment and makes it an authorized commitment. And it's quite a pain to make that happen. Just to kind of fill out, fill out the story here on the policy side, the FAR specifically wants people to take positive action to preclude to the maximum extent possible these ratifications. In other words, they, they give you procedures on how to handle it, but the procedures, it's, it's funny, actually says, these procedures may not be used in a manner that encourages such commitments being made by government personnel. So in other words, don't do this. Here's how to fix it, but please don't do it. In right. the first make, and don't make it easy for people to fix it because then there wouldn't be any real disincentive from doing it. Exactly. Like, for example, the head of the contracting activity usually has to approve these, which we'll talk about how that plays out, but it's, yeah, this is a, you got to go up to some big boss and say, I screwed up, please help me fix it. Yeah. Not a good thing. Nor nor is it a good way to get things done quickly. (laughs) So let's (laughs) let's not do it in the first place. So unauthorized commitments come in many different flavors. As far as the imagination can take you, I'm sure the, the most common type of unauthorized commitment I've seen is when you have an existing contract and the government program manager or core or COTAR ask the contractor to do something that's outside of the scope of that contract. And the contractor says, sure, yeah, we'll do that. That's an unauthorized commitment. The scary kind is when that there's no deal in place at all and someone from the government side that's not a contracting officer says – hey, deliver me some of this stuff. And the contractor goes and does it without a contract in place or just takes the email that they get that says, hey, I want to buy some of these things and acts on it. I think that's a lot more rare because it's pretty cut and dried. Most people understand that they don't have the authority to do that. The gray area is more when there's a contract, an existing contract, and what is authorized is outside of that contract. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. And another example would be when some someone's given an authorization to proceed before the contract is in place. And a contracting officer can do that. You'll hear a lot of stories of, you know, you get a letter that says, okay, we're going to get the paperwork. I've actually written, I don't know, probably a hundred of those things. It says, okay, go ahead and start on Monday. The contract's going to be in place by Wednesday, but we've already agreed, et cetera, et cetera. However, sometimes that's done via verbal. One of the ratifications I did was specifically because the program manager who heard from me that the contract would be in place by Wednesday said, okay, go ahead and start on Monday. Those two days generated about, I don't know, $50,000 in costs that the contractor then billed for, you know, three months later. And uh-oh, we had to do a ratification. It's that, it's that easy. So it's, it, it sounds like it's just a small thing, like sending somebody an email that says, hey, go ahead and start. But if you're not the contracting officer, you've created an unauthorized commitment that can be a mess to clean up. And not all can be cleaned up. So the FAR has limitations on when a ratification can be used to authorize a unauthorized commitment. So I'll run through the limitations on when you can do a ratification. So first, the supplies or services have to actually have been provided to and accepted by the government. And it has to be something that was beneficial to the government. The government has to obtain or will obtain a benefit from what was done as a result of this unauthorized commitment. Next, the deal that was struck, the resulting contract, would have to have been otherwise proper if a contracting officer had done it themselves. So it can't be a contract for something illegal to buy or something that the CO couldn't have bought themselves if they were, if they were the ones signing for it. It's got to be it's got to be something that actually fits the rules. So the deal has to be otherwise good is what I'm trying to say there. Next, the price has to be fair and reasonable in the end. So as the contracting officer is working through this ratification process, they have to have to come to a fair and reasonable price determination. And the reason this whole price reasonableness is a big deal is it even if it's an unauthorized commitment that gets ratified, it may not get ratified at the same price. So if the agreement, quote unquote, that, that is getting ratified says it's 100 bucks a unit for said widget, then the contracting officer says, you know, if we competed this, it probably would have cost like 60. So the most I can justify is like 80 bucks. Well, guess what? You got paid, but you only got paid 80 instead of 100 bucks a widget. That's, that yeah, stuff happens. That's a great point. And that's, that leads you right into the next thing. So the contracting officer has to recommend payment for this fair and reasonable price. And generally, legal counsel has to concur in that recommendation. So it's reviewed by the lawyers unless your particular agency doesn't require that. And, and we found examples of agencies that don't require <laughs> legal review. Now, the most important one, it, it actually says funds are available and were available at the time the unauthorized commitment was made. One thing that trips people up sometimes is an unauthorized commitment is made in September because they know they're going to have the money in October. So they say, go ahead and deliver this now. And then come October, the government fiscal year turns over. There's the next fiscal year funding available. Contracting officers says, okay, now I have the money. But that money didn't exist in September, wasn't available. At that point, you can't do a ratification and everyone's just out of luck. Yeah, we talked about that, the Colors of Money podcast a few months ago. Yeah. Real quick, let's talk about how procedures can differ between agencies. We're both most familiar with the Air Force process because that's where we spent a lot of our careers, right? So there's an Air Force mandatory procedure that talks about how a ratification has to flow. 
starts out with the, the contracting officer initiates an investigation, and they basically gather the evidence of what happened. The commander of the organization that made this authorization has to provide the contracting officer within 30 days with a package of information. It's basically a report on what happened and what that organization is going to do, the corrective actions they're going to take to prevent that from happening again. So training, floggings, public executions, (laughs) whatever. The next thing in the package is a signed statement from the person who made that unauthorized commitment. So that if you are the program person who made who asked a contractor to do something and they did it, you have to basically sign a confession saying, I screwed up, I'm an idiot, and I'll never do it again, and I've taken all this training, and now I'm super smart. Go on to the confessional. Yeah. Last thing in the package is documentation of the benefit, that, that the government actually received something and got benefit from it. So that's where we might get into the thinking part of it to make sure that you can actually document how this was beneficial. And... You need to have the correspondence that was back and forth authorizing it. You have to prove that the funds were available. And to me, that was always the, the, the trickiest part was following that bona fide needs rule that we talked about in whatever podcast we talked about bona fide needs, right? Right. So the commander of the organization that, that did the, the bad thing gives all this, pack, this package of information to the CO. The contracting officer analyzes this documentation and – if they find that all those rules are follows, then they have to write a statement saying that here's what happened, here's why it's it's this is okay to authorize. They in the Air Force they've got to get it approved by legal, and then they have to put a ratification statement in the document. <laughs> it actually starts out that this is the Air Force now. It actually starts out pursuant to the authority vested in me by Air Force FAR supplement, blah, blah, blah. So it, it's like it's like a, a, a wedding thing, right? <laughs> By authority vested in me, I now pronounce you. Uh. It actually says I hereby ratify the act of. And, then it, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and this is, this is a, a, a phenomenal example of we, we picked a couple of examples. One is the extreme, this mandatory procedures out of the Air Force, again, where our background is a lot. Yeah. They, they give you a step-by-step of you will do all this stuff. Um, I've also done them for Special Operations Command. It wasn't as quite as heavy. And then there are some agencies that kind of give you the basics. But the point is the FAR says, agencies, thou shalt create procedures. Well, the Air Force said, thou shalt put this sentence directly into your Right. Doctor. Pursuant to the authority vested in me. <laughs> That's awesome. That actually yeah. says that in the FAR. And, and, and they even, the Air Force even has a limit on it. If, it, if, if the problem that was created is equal to or greater than $30,000, then you got to go up through – through the wing commander to like the the major command, like up to headquarters, so everybody knows what happened. Not and, fun. And, and to get some context on that, I mean, this the Air Force buys what F twenty two fighters. Okay, they spend a lot. There's some agents, some offices spend a lot of money. Even a base may spend millions or billions a year. So something that's a thirty thousand dollar transaction that could be a small one. Yeah, so relatively the, minor. Right. So, I mean, think now, so for some agencies, that's a huge number. Understand. But I mean, think about it. this is the Air Force's procedures of all the stuff the Air Force does. Things over 30,000 have got to go all the way up the chain. That, that's how important this is. That's how much you want to avoid this particular regulation applying to you. So, let's talk about another agency's Health and Human Services. They have their own procedures for this. And it, their, their procedures say the head of the contracting activity 
is the person that's authorized to ratify something and they can delegate that down if it's less than $150,000, so not $30,000, but um, their threshold for for people much higher in the chain dealing with this is $150,000, and then it can only be delegated down to the chief of the contracting office. So it's not handed out to the CO that you could just ratify stuff left and right and operate that way. No, it's it's held – the authority is held at a very high level. And the funny thing about Health and Human Services as opposed to the Air Force – maybe it's not so funny, but – they don't require legal, they don't require legal counsel to review it. It's optional. They can get the help, but they actually have give more authority to their contracting officers to approve these to to build these packages. More authority to the head of the contracting activity to ratify an unauthorized commitment. It actually says if the contracting activity determines legal advice is needed, then it tells them where to go. So just this is a great example. We talk about this a lot. How a lot of stuff is transferable among all the agencies. But you got to read your agency procedures and understand understand your understand your target market because <laughs> this is a great example. Of that I, my favorite part of this one is it, again you have to write your confession if you if you did this unauthorized <laughs> commitment you have to write this thing out and hand it to the CO and it says uh, an explanation of why the contracting office was not used and why the proposed contractor was selected. So you, you basically have to um, throw yourself at the mercy of the CO at that point and say, "Please ratify this, please." So why is this so important? It is important because only contracting officers are authorized to bind the government. If that doesn't happen and you need a contracting officer to bind the government because you've already uh, asked the contractor to do something, a ton of paperwork is required and lots of higher authorities are called into play to clean up that mess. And for me, why it's important is that this creates work that I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I'm a little leery of using the, the term non-value added, but you're, you're getting back to zero. You're cleaning up something. Your customer doesn't want you to have to clean up things. Your customer wants you to be able to move forward. And this is one of those things that if you understand how to avoid this, it, it will keep you from getting mired in these. And, and I've, the reason I, the reason it's a, a touch point for me is I've had a couple of them that by the time they were you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. By the time they got through all the people that had to look at them, and as a taxpayer, you want that. You, know, you don't want people just being able to spend a, you know, half a million dollars without some kind of process. But man, it just, it eats up your time and mm. it just, it's, it's stealing time from everything from source selections to training to all other more proactive things. So yep. just as a pet peeve, <laughs> learn about this so you can avoid it. Right, and it's both sides should care. This can affect your career because it's a bad thing that has been done that is now highlighted and higher ups on both sides of the equation are going to learn about this and they probably aren't going to be too happy about it. Yeah. That's a good point. So this isn't just government dealing with it. It's not just industry. It's both. Yeah. And it's a time vampire for everybody. Yeah. Let's get specific about the government side. Like you said, processing ratifications can suck up a ton of time and energy that could be otherwise used doing productive things. Productive in the eyes of your customer, meaning like awarding new contracts for stuff to give them. <laughs> and, and, and productive in the eyes of the taxpayer. How about that one? There you go. I said that so properly. And one thing that jumps out at me is that it can erode the trust of the acquisition team. And what I mean by that is that you build it. We've talked about this before, being a team sport, and acquisition is a team sport. So a contracting officer, program manager, everybody on the team is trying to get stuff done. If you know that a particular program manager has had a couple of these infringements <laughs> of unauthorized commitments 
a contracting officer is not going to give you as much latitude because he's scared of you creating work for him, right? And then likewise, as a contracting officer, you need to educate them on, hey, this is what's going to happen. The easier way to fix this, by the way, is just call me before we have an unauthorized commitment and say, hey, does this count as an unauthorized commitment? And you say yes or no and move on. But not dealing with it ahead of time and having a ratification drop in your lap, which again, raising my hand because it's happened a couple times. And from that moment on, I'm very suspicious of this particular group of customers because I'm thinking, wow, they're going to create work for me. Cynical as that sounds, it's just that that's what people are thinking. So. Right, and, and it's so easy. The line between an unauthorized commitment and an authorized commitment is so simple. It, it, it's did the CO say it or not? So if, if the COTAR sends an email that says, go ahead and start working on Monday, but the contract actually isn't signed till Wednesday, that, that's an unauthorized commitment if the contractor starts working. If the CO sends that same email that says, I'm authorizing you to start today on Monday and we'll sign the contract on Wednesday, that's authorized. And the CO will make sure that all that's in place. So just that, just one conversation could you know make the difference between authorized and unauthorized and save lots of time and energy. And, and whether we like it or not, this is the process. Um, we, we talk about this a lot, is that there is a process behind government contracts. And sometimes it's frustrating, but it, it is what it is. And so skipping this process creates this mess we're talking about. Yeah. And, and this is – if, if you want your CO to lean forward for you, don't have an unauthorized commitment. <laughs> and, as a, and as a contracting officer, if you, want cost, if you want good contractors, help them to not have this problem and then more importantly, make sure they don't get screwed by it. Yeah. Um, because if, if, if a contractor leans forward accidentally – provide some service which has value and then it doesn't get ratified, they are never going to, uh, never, they're very likely to not lean forward next time. So th- this thing is, it's a, it's a, it's like a, what do they call that? It's like nitroglycerin. <laughs> you know, you handle it too closely and boom, it blows up in your face. So be kind of careful. You've moved us right along to that. Why should industry care so much about this? So plan. yeah, we know industry is under tremendous pressure to bring in new business, to, to, to bring in money, to sell stuff, Right. That pressure could create maybe some shady deals where the contractor knows it's not really proper, but hey, the, this this government person, the program manager, the COTAR said, go ahead and do it. So they, they do it because they just figure, oh, we'll get paid. Well, it's true. You as the contractor may get paid after the government jumps through a whole bunch of hoops, but you may not it, if, if that money wasn't available you're not going to get paid. If it wasn't something that otherwise – that if the contracting officer would have would have told you to do it what is is valid, you may not get paid. Or you but, may not get paid in full. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like you, like you were talking about with the price thing. The other side, you, you may get paid, but you may have created some problems with the people. Like, like for instance, your COTAR that you're working close with – may not be your COTAR anymore after this. <laughs> you may get somebody that you don't like, and you may get a lot more scrutiny because now you've proven that you're, you don't understand the rules so well. Yeah, so what you don't know can hurt you, which is why we yeah. don't. Contractors way. are supposed to raise the red flag here, right? They, if, if, if they get direction from other than a contracting officer, they're supposed to have trained their folks that, hey, you're not allowed to accept authorizations from anybody but the CO. And honestly, most industry contracting people know that 
you have to get authorization from the contracting officer only. But industry program managers may not know that or may not know how serious it is. And like I was talking about before, lots of times these unauthorized commitments happen during performance of an existing contract. So the, on the industry side, it's, oh, you want a couple more or you want me to do something a little bit different? It's no big deal. It, it's Sure, we'll do that. We'd love to do that. And they don't look so closely at the scope or who told them to do, to, to do whatever they're doing. So we can wrap this up by saying most unauthorized commitments are probably honest mistakes. I know, I know there's bad people out there, but this is, we have the razor principles here, right? So, so Occam's razor is one of my favorites. That's the, the simplest explanation is usually the correct explanation. So the simplest explanation for most of these things is that it was an honest mistake. If it's not an honest mistake, that requires that people have thought through this and decided to do the wrong things or somehow game the system. And that just takes a lot more time and energy than someone making an honest mistake. So you first try to figure out, is it an honest mistake before you start getting all crazy with it? The second principle is Hanlon's razor, which is even more of my favorite than, than Occam's razor, I guess. We've, we talk about this one all the time, right? It's don't attribute to malice what can be easily explained by lack of knowledge. So don't assume that people are bad. Assume that they're under pressure and just forgot or they were never taught. It's a much better way to live your life. They never listened to this podcast episode. <laughs> Remember, only a government contracting officer can spend money. Only a government contracting officer can authorize some a, a contractor to do something. If you get authorization from someone other than a contracting officer, the process of getting you paid on the industry side can be long and painful. Everyone should be trying to avoid it. And it's designed to be painful, right? Exactly. And we talk a lot about the rules in the FAR are there because someone did something wrong. And so... When the government doesn't want you to do something, they make it hard to do it. Well, this is a great example of that, is that the pain that you will endure from a ratification is probably going to be enough that you're probably not going to do two of them. Right. If it was easy, if it was easy to clean up this mess, there wouldn't be any reason to follow the rules. So they make it painful on everybody. And the ultimate pain on the industry side is you could deliver something and never get paid for it. So it's to your benefit to pay attention. Yeah, and... and Again, the cynics just think that the government market is all about bureaucracy. I mean, think about it. the alternative to this is people saying, oh, yeah, whoops, I accidentally authorized the contractor to deliver an extra space shuttle. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I mean, it's just That's you a get little my, extreme, but I'll take but, it. Yeah, but it, it just, it, I don't know, take a couple of digits off of it. It's still the same principle. Yep. So that, that just was funnier. I didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> That's because you're judgmental. <laughs> you're too used to my humor. Uh, all right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you like the Contracting Officer Podcast, please tell a friend. It's a great chance to send a text saying, hey, I learned something today. Or, man, I didn't learn a thing today. That was the most annoying podcast I've ever heard. (laughs) We don't need those emails. (laughs) Remember, we get most of our topics from listeners. So please, if you have an idea for something that you think would be beneficial for people to learn more about, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. And once again, this this was an example of that. Someone asked, what's the difference between a ratification and an unauthorized commitment? 
And of course, if you need more help from the government market, we're here to help. Go to skywayacquisition.com and learn all about the things we can do to help you. And by the way, here's a fun announcement. In, in the, as we enter our second year, just for fun, if you've made it all the way through the podcast and listened to all of this stuff, <laughs> I want to give you a free copy of my book. So email me at kevin at skywayacquisition.com and I'll send you a free copy. It's a PDF of my book. And the book's called Save Your Time, Why the Government Market May or May Not Be for You. And quite honestly, you can buy it on Amazon or wherever, but I just want to be able to help people. And if, and if you've been hanging out for this podcast for a year or even if this is your first one and the book will help you, I'd love to send you a copy of it. So just email me again, kevin at skywayacquisition.com and I'll send you a free copy. Bonus. I love it. All right. Talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. All right, that's it for this week's episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.